We'll be in a uh, non-traditional place for Easter this morning, if you've looked ahead already. If you want to, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles, where it's printed for you there in the ESV in your bulletin. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 27. Before we go to God's Word, let's go together in prayer. Oh Lord God, as we come before Your Holy Word this morning, Father, we declare that Your testimonies are our delight, that we long to meditate upon Your precepts and to fix our eyes on Your ways. Oh Lord, would You again give us delight in Your statutes, that we might not forget Your Word. Teach us Your way, Lord. Open up Your Word to us and we will declare Your praise with our lips. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christ is risen. I love Easter. I do. I love the joy. I love the brightness. I really love how Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the climax of God's incredible story of rescue. I love a good story. And around my house, we love stories that have wizards and magic and swords and dragons and Lions and wardrobes, hobbits and rings, and all the stuff of wonder, all the stuff of awe, the world of fantasy stories, the world of fairy tales. And the whole of Scripture is a fairy tale. Not that it's untrue, but that it appeals to our hopes, it appeals to our dreams, it appeals to our feelings just as much as it appeals to our minds. The Bible is a story of good over evil. It's full of joy. It's full of wonders that we forget those wonders as adults, don't we? We don't come to the Bible like that type of story. But we love those kind of stories as children. Like watch, boys and girls, do you like stories that involve swords, princes, princesses? Dragons, rescuing Daniels and damsels in distress. See, boys and girls, they love it. You know why those stories are so popular? Why they're so similar at their core? Because they're all hinting at the one true story of God rescuing His people, of God seeking to restore all things. I want to I show that to you. It's why we had this piece of art up here. If you can see this, moving from the left to right, we have a nice verdant scene with some fruit and some birds. And you notice the next one is kind of dead. It's bad. And then the next one has a cross in the middle. There's some life coming back. And then the final one to the right is just an explosion of life. This is a, a picture showing, this piece of art shows the biblical ideas of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is a, a showing what God is doing with creation, that he's taking it somewhere beautiful. Because you see, it was all once fruitful and good and great, if you'll notice there to the left. We might even say once upon a time, it was good. But then all was lost for the serpent, that evil dragon, came and he tricked the king and queen into breaking God's law. And so evil entered to the land and enslaved the people. But God promised that one day, someday, he would send a champion to defeat the dragon, to free the people. And this prince would usher in a new and better world, one where his people, can I say it? 
would live happily ever after. See, it's a fairy tale. All those stories come from the love and the hope of God's story, of this story. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most exciting part of the story. I want us to be in awe of God's story of rescue. But Easter, as special as it is, is sort of normal for us, isn't it? Most of us know that this is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And in that familiarity, we cease to be awed by it. So today we're going to do something non-traditional for Easter. We're going to use Ephesians, and we're going to use Genesis, and we're going to look at the resurrection through the lens of marriage. So let me set the scene for you. The sun rises on the third day, and it's over. The tomb is empty. Good has won. Evil has been vanquished. There's joy and there's brightness in the air. For you see, the Prince of Peace has come. And he has battled the tempting serpent. And after a fierce struggle, although the prince was wounded, he killed that evil dragon. He then rescued the princess from the distress of her prison. He renamed her his church, whom he loved from the foundation of the world, and he married her. He brought her into the glorious kingdom of his father, and now they live happily ever after. I like that version, don't you? See, Easter, the resurrection, is the key to that story. Maybe you're not quite following me yet. So let's look at the Apostle Paul's version of that story then. Perhaps it will help us understand. If you will, would you look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. This is God's Word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is God's word. So marriage was always intended to point to the greater reality of God's love for His people. The love of Christ for His church is what marriage love is about. The image that Paul gives us here shows us that God wanted the world to understand how He loves His people. And so He created marriage. The love of Christ for His church is the foundation love. It's the foundation of our hope, of our joy. His love anchors us in God's plan to have a people for Himself, to live with Him in eternity. See, it sounds like happily ever after, doesn't it? Because it is. Again, I know this is non-traditional, but stick with me. Perhaps we'll gain, we'll gain a, a new and renewed appreciation for the resurrection. Because I want you to see first thing here, Paul starts out in verse 25, tells us that in love Christ died for the church. Paul begins by telling us that Christ loved the church. It's so simple, it's so beautiful. He loved her in spite of her unworthiness, in spite of her failing up to live to his standards, in spite of her, he saw her rags, he saw her filth, he saw her evil, and he loved her anyway. This is the core of salvation. He loved us, not because of anything in us, 
He loved us in spite of us. That's love. It's real love. And in that love, Paul tells us here in verse 25, he gave himself. Jesus surrendered himself. Jesus offered himself up in love. He actually did sacrifice himself for her. That is his amazing love for his church. He could only save her by giving himself up, and so he did it. What an incredible love. I want to make sure you're feeling this here. Boys and girls, I want to make sure you're following me too. So boys and girls, let's get your bulletin out. Let's look at your verse 25 together. It says this, A husband should love his wife just like Christ loved his wife, the church. He died for her. Boys and girls, don't you love it when daddy walks in and just hugs mommy? And you act like you don't like it, but don't you just deep down inside, don't you really, doesn't it make you feel all good to watch a daddy love mommy? That's only a tiny little glimpse, boys and girls, of Christ's love for his church. He loved us so much, he died for all of us. See, and that kind of love anchors us, doesn't it? It gives us a foundation. It lifts us up and gives us hope that in our sin, Christ would die for us because he loves us, but it doesn't stop there. See, for most of us church folk at this point, we add the resurrection on because we know we're supposed to, but we really emphasize the cross. That's what matters. And we don't always know what to do with the resurrection. And that's why I'm taking this non-traditional approach to Easter because I want us to see that in love, Christ died for us, absolutely. But also, verse 26 shows us, in love, Christ cleanses the church. He tells us that the goal of his death was to make his bride holy, to make his bride sanctified, separated for God's use. Again, those are big church words. Let's make sure we're all understanding this. So boys and girls, let's look together at your verse. Verse 26 tells us that he died for her to set her free, to make her clean before God by washing her evil away. You know, boys and girls, Pastor Sean exercises early in the morning. I get yucky. I get sweaty. And Emma, our five-year-old, she gets up very early as well. And often she runs up when I first come in from exercising and she wants to give me a big old hug first thing in the morning. And I Daddy's really nasty right now. You, you don't want to hug this. You, you'll get wet. So let me go clean up and then we'll hug, okay? Boys and girls, have you ever been too dirty to hug? Well, that's how we were as a church. That's how the church was. We were too dirty for Christ to embrace us. And so, boys and girls, instead of telling us, why don't you go clean yourself up first, Christ says, why don't you let me clean you perfectly and then we'll hug. That's what this verse tells us. He loves us so much. He said, you're so dirty. Let me clean you up. Then we can hug. See, that's the picture in this verse. Christ exerted sacrificial effort to make his bride clean and good. But here's the deal. Without the resurrection, his death doesn't have that power. It's not just about his death. His resurrection validates his innocent death and brings that cleansing power. Here's how other parts of Scripture say it, in case you don't believe me. Romans 10, 9. You don't need to turn there. We have it on a slide for you. It says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, what? That God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Or another one, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. It says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. See, if Jesus is still in the grave, we're still in our sins. He's just another martyr. But because death could not hold him, because he was sinless and he didn't deserve to die, he burst forth from the grave on that third day, displaying the power of his indestructible life. And that is the power he gives to his people in the resurrection. Oh, it's not just his death, it is his life. The resurrected life of Jesus Christ is where our salvation rests. Because in, in love, Christ cleanses the church. And he did all that because, verse 27 shows us, in love Christ shows off the church. Look with me again at verse 27. It says, he did all this, why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. A more literal translation of this, the New Sean version would be, that he might show off for himself the church's beauty. Isn't that a great way to think about it? That he might show off for himself the church's beauty. Now, you might be confused there. Men, we've done this. Ladies, you're going to like this part. I might be giving away a secret here. Um, there comes a point when a man is with a woman and he loves her and he decides that she's the one he wants to marry. Usually it's during the engagement period or, or in that first year of marriage where he's with other guys and he'll, ladies, he'll, he'll show a picture of you. Or if it's someone who knows you already, he'll remind them of what you look like at a certain moment. Because what that guy wants to hear, he wants one of his guy friends to go, nice dude. Or someone else to say, man, your wife is beautiful. Guys, dig that. We love that. You know why? Because most guys are like me. Average, pudgy, losing hair, wrinkled in places, and we're like kind of, you know, Gollum next to Brad Pitt. But it's okay to look like Gollum because I married this. Look. Let's show him off. Let's show her off. She's beautiful. Look at this thing. We love to show our wives off for ourselves. And it sounds very selfish, but according to verse 27, we're being incredibly Christ-like. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, because Christ died for his bride to set her apart, make her holy, to cleanse her from evil so he can show her off. Look at this. To say to everybody, she is beautiful and noble and without blemish. She's holy. She's perfect. That's all from the power of the resurrection. Now oh, it's not just here. This is the message of Scripture. Just a few verses before in chapter 3, verse 10, Ephesians 3.10, Paul says this, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How does God show off His wisdom? Through the church. To the other authorities out there, whatever He's talking about, says, look at my bride. Look at my church. That's how wise I am. He loves to show off His people. See, the triune God has created the church to show off. You ever thought about that? Ladies, that burst of joy you had in your heart about 45 seconds ago when I told you about what your guys do with your pictures, that's what every Christian should have when they read verse 27. God wants to show me off. God made me his own so he can show me off. Me? Has he seen me? Yes, he has. And in love, what do you do? He gave himself for you that he might cleanse you, that he might show you off. 
Hallelujah, what a Savior. He wants to show us off. Now, boys and girls, I want to make sure you get this. Let's look at your verse 27 together. It says this. Now, Jesus loves to look at the church's beauty and show off her glory because he's made her holy and faultless. That is a picture of our Lord rejoicing to be married to his people. There's nothing he won't do for his bride. And he's not going to be satisfied until his bride, you and me, those of us who've confessed faith in Jesus Christ, he's not going to be satisfied until we are perfect without spot or blemish. Jesus Christ wants to make us into that by the power of his resurrection. That is the incredible love and power in his death and in his resurrection that it cleanses you and it elevates you and it's going to show you off without the power of Christ's indestructible life. That cleansing, that showing off will never happen. If Jesus is still on the ground, he is powerless to fulfill this promise. But he was raised. And in love, he shows off his church. Now, Easter brings this message home to us because in love, Christ's resurrection is for you. So, keeping this marriage picture in mind, I want to look at the second passage that's now in your bulletin. If you turn the page, it's below your outline there, the Genesis passage. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then we'll skip to verse 21 and 24. That's what God's Word says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last, this bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so here in Genesis chapter 2, we have a picture of the very first marriage ever. Adam was not meant to be with any of the other creatures. And so because God loved him, Adam, or God put Adam into a deep sleep. Most likely, if you know your chronology here, Adam was made in the morning of the sixth day, spent most of the day naming the animals. This is most likely the late evening, even overnight of the sixth day, into the seventh day. And so Adam wakes up on that first Sabbath morning. The earth is renewed. Everything is bright and fresh. And God presents to Adam his bride, Eve. One who was created for him and from him by the power of God. Adam rejoiced. He spontaneously recites the first human poem ever. He basically says, whoa, she's awesome. In poetry, so it sounds better than that. God then declares everything good and he rests. His labors are complete. And the beauty and the completeness and the innocence of his world is displayed for all to see. Okay, now fast forward to that first Easter. It's Sunday morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first Christian Sabbath. Jesus wasn't in a deep sleep. 
but he was under the power of death. And as Jesus rose from the dead, because God loved him, God presents to Jesus his bride, the church, one who was created for him and from him by the power of God. And so that day becomes the day of rejoicing. We see the rejoicing of God the Father to present His beloved Son with such a gift. We see the rejoicing of Christ to take possession of such a gift and to be united to His bride. We see the rejoicing of the church to be cleansed and embraced in such a love as this. Oh dear Christian, do you see the love? Do you see the hope? Do you see the eternal security that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us? The church is created by God as a gift for Christ. The church is perfected in the death of Christ. The church is made perfect and beautiful so Christ can show her off in the resurrection. All of that comes about because of the power of His indestructible life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he's still in the ground, none of that happens. One last try to make my case. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the power of our salvation. The resurrection is not just something we add on after we really talk about the death of Jesus and sin and justice. No. The resurrection is the key to salvation. It's the key to the renewal of God's people. The key to your being cleansed and shown off. Oh, dear flock, see and feel again why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. There's no salvation without it. There's no marriage between Christ and His people without the resurrection. Oh, and it gets even better. I want to throw that piece of art back up on the uh, screen if we, ha if we have it. I want you to remember this progression here, okay? The spotless, beautiful bride of Christ, the church, is actually a foretaste of that right panel of the renewed wonderful world that God promises He is going to make. The church is a foretaste of that, of the world that's coming. That Christ, by the power of His indestructible life, promises that one day, someday, He will make all things new. The key to that restoration coming is Christ's resurrection. The key to there being a world where God says, get this, God says that He will stoop down and He will wipe every tear from our eye. That there will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. No more death. That world is coming and the resurrection is the key. So feel that in this fairy tale. That happily ever after. See that in God's Word. Perhaps for the first time, see why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. There's no salvation, nor is there any hope of Christ's life flooding our world with a new world that works without the resurrection. Now, if you're here today and you're not quite sure if you would call yourself a Christian, you're not quite sure if you believe all this stuff about Jesus dying and then rising from the dead, 
that sounds rather like a fairy tale, you should want the resurrection to be true. The hope of a better world, the hope of a better people is rooted in the resurrection alone. The resurrection is the key to the gospel, what God is doing in this world. It's not simply that Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but that God does not accept the world the way it is. God does not accept you the way you are. Instead, He's going to change you and change the world into what you should be. What an incredible promise. Don't you want to be the way you should be? Don't you want to be in a world that's the way it should be, that just works instead of being so frustrating all the time? He's doing it by the power of the resurrection through His beautiful bride. God is changing the world through the most ancient, transnational, multi-ethnic, polysymphonic community the world has ever seen. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The beautiful, perfected bride of Christ. All of this is available through the church. So the question I have to ask you at this point is, are you part of the church? The beautiful bride of Christ. There's only one way to be part of the church. And that is to be one of those Christ has purchased with His own life. One of those for whom Christ died and one of those whom Christ cleansed by His resurrection. Oh, even now, if that is not you, look in faith to Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord. Place your faith and your trust in Him as your only hope for salvation. And then you can be part of His great church. And the resurrection can be for you. And if you haven't done that, do it now. And for the rest of us, grasp again the importance of the resurrection. The indestructible life of Christ is where our hope is. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray together.